0: Hopefully it will come to as no surprise to many of you that this morning I'm going to talk about building. Um, I say that because a few weeks ago I preached on building and I said I was going to preach again on building. Um, and I reminded us that we build from a place of identity. I reminded us that when we see who he is, he tells us who we are and then he equips us to build. And it's all based on being loved into life. So today we're going to talk about what is God calling us to build. And I believe God is calling us to build together. And that word has come this morning. And uh, God's just amazed me this morning. I was still at the back and I was just praying in tongues and I could feel myself welling up. So I'm going to try not to cry while I'm up here. <laughs> but it could be a challenge. And if I do, that's why. Um, I want to show you a picture. Uh, can I have the f- first picture up, Sue's. I don't know why I look behind me. It's there. I know that because I put it there. <laughs> Does anyone know where that is or specifically when that is? You do because you saw my nose. <laughs> <laughs> that is Dubai in 1990. Uh, let's have the next picture. That is Dubai in 2005. And the next picture... That is Dubai now. (laughs) It's incredible, isn't it? You know, Dubai and the whole of that area is an example of what happens when people decide to build and they go for it. And no matter what, you know, the stories we hear about how they've built it or where the money's come from and all that sort of thing, the fact of the matter is that they decided to build and they went for it. And the result is that... The result is a city or an area that the world looks on in amazement at. The the result is a hub. It's a place where people come into from all over the world. Emirates Airline is the biggest airline in the world now. It was only founded in 1985. (laughs) But it's the biggest airline because people fly in and out of Dubai. They use it to go everywhere around the world now. Most people, when they fly transatlant- uh, fly down to Australia or Singapore, loads of them fly through Dubai. And it has become the envy of the world. And everyone in the world looks on in amazement. They look on at these m- massive structures and they're amazed that someone's done that. You know, I want to encourage us. God is doing and building something amazing here. And we are a part of it. And we are a part of what God is building. We're a part of a city on a hill that he's building. We're a part of this garden city. And, uh, you know, sometimes we look on and we're in it and we look and we say, Oh, I can't really see what you're doing, God. Are you really building? But I want to encourage you that God is doing something. And even if you can't see it at the moment, God is doing something. And God is building something. Let's have the next set of pictures up. So this is my son, Josiah. Let's have the next one. There it is again. The next one. And the next one. There we go, there's four of them. Now, I don't know if you noticed, but in each of those pictures, Josiah is wearing the same dungarees and the same vest. Now... If you just looked at the dungarees and the vest, you'd say nothing's happened there. They look the same. Nothing's actually happened. He's wearing the same dungarees and the same vest. But what if I told you that the first picture was taken when he was two weeks old, and the second picture when he was a little baby, quiet and peaceful, and the final picture, which is the next one after that, That picture was taken yesterday when he's 10 months old and he's an absolute chaos creator in our house. If you looked at our lounge at any time of the day when he's up, you would know that. Um, Now, if you look at the dungarees, you think, well, hang on, how can he be in the same dungarees? That's because my wife loved these dungarees so much that she trawled through eBay to find the next size and the next size and the next size. And I think we even have the next size maybe. Uh, up till he's two. So, um, But the the point is this. If you just looked at the dungarees, you'd say, actually, nothing's happened. He's not grown at all. But actually, in all that time, God has done a work in him. He's taken him from that two-week-old to a ten-month-old. In that time, he's gone from just lying peacefully on the sofa, most sometimes, <laughs> through, through to um, crawling around our house, trying to crawl on the stage this morning. He's gone from... Drinking milk on it alone to eating solid food. God has done incredible work and will continue to do an incredible work in him, I believe. And that's what God's doing here. And even if you can't see it, even if you look at the outside and look in and you go, I can't really see what you're doing, God. God is doing something amazing in this place. Let's turn, if you've got your Bibles, if you turn to Haggai. Haggai. I said last time people said it was quite a good way of finding it, so I'll tell you again. If you go to Matthew, if you can't find it, and go back a few pages, if you've got my Bible, it's on 1042. (laughs) That joke really shouldn't get a laugh a second time. (laughs) Great, I'm reading from the ESV, and uh, we're going to read from verses 1 to 9, and then we're going to skip a bit and read a bit from chapter 2. It says, "In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the, la- by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts: These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet: Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins?" Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into bags with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little, and when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord the Hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own home. And then let's go down to in chapter 2, about halfway through verse 4. It says, Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not, for thus says the Lord of hosts. Yet once more, in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all the nations so that the treasures of all nations come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. God calls the community of Israel to come together to rebuild the temple. To lay down their individual plans to rebuild his church. He promises that the temple will be greater than it was before. Now I don't believe, I'm going to put this out there, I don't believe God is withholding anything from us. Okay, this is not a strong arm moment. Okay, (laughs) okay. We live in the new covenant. We live in a time when grace reigns. And in fact, Paul says in Romans, he says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? He gives us all things graciously. But nevertheless, there is purpose and there is blessing within God's call. And I believe there is a prophetic call to this family at this time to come together and build his house. You know, We might say, well, what does that look like? Well, if we quickly look in Acts 2, uh, verse 42, that, it's going to come up on there, turn to it if you want to. But it says, it's very familiar to us, this is the New Testament church, and it's just after Peter, after the Holy Spirit has come and Peter has preached. And it says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. You know, I've always had this image in my head of the New Testament church in that period of of, of thousands of people walking around together, walking around, going from one place to the other, sharing everything, almost like a rugby scrum, um, putting, oh, I've got these belongings, throw them into the middle so that everyone can share them. You know, a slightly, I would suggest, unrealistic (laughs) expectation of what the New Testament church might look like. But, you know, that's not how it was. These people were real people, <laughs> okay? These people had real lives. They had real jobs. They had real dreams. They had real hopes. They had real responsibilities. And they had real families. But they knew what it was to build together. You know, we're not talking this morning and over, over this time, we're not talking, this is not about building a mega church, you know, this is some big building out in the middle of the middle of the hills that everyone looks on and goes, "Wow, look at that big building! The mega church out there." You know, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about building a family of God who put Him and our pursuit of Him above all other things. We're talking about a place where all are valued and all feel at home. In Haggai and in, in, chapter 1 verse 12 it says all the remnant of the people it's a place where all come and it's not our own struggles that achieve it, it's his presence we're building that place where we dwell in community with him together we're building that place where we're living in love and as Trevor reminded us two weeks ago, that place that's the church built on the cornerstone of the one who gave his all for us 1 John 3.16 this is how we know what love is that he gave his life for us that's what we're building and that's what we're building together so I believe God wants to challenge us this morning and uh, I've got three points that all begin with C which is excellent for a preacher I believe um, <laughs> And the first one of these is consider. In Haggai 1 verses, this is in both 5 and 7, it says, consider your ways. God wants us to consider our ways. He wants us to take a look at ourselves, take a look at the the things that we value. How do we value things? And what do we value above all things? You know, the, the people of Israel, they weren't lazy people, they weren't sinners, they weren't evil people, but they were busy. It says in verse 9, each of you busies himself. You know, there's nothing specifically wrong about spending time sorting out our own houses. There's nothing specifically wrong about spending time going after what God's called us to do. But what, is our, what are we chasing What are we running after? What are we pursuing? Are we pursuing a mortgage? Are we pursuing a good retirement? Are we pursuing a promotion? Are we pursuing our own dream? Are we pursuing our own ways of doing things? Is that what we're going after? Is that what we're focusing all our energy on? Or are we focusing and pursuing the presence of God together? You know, what do we fear? What do we put our trust in? In verse 12 it says, the people feared the Lord. They knew who the Lord was. They knew what he'd done and they knew that he could do anything. And when they feared it, when they they recognized who he was, when they recognized what he'd done, when they recognized that he was over everything, then they came together and built because they put their hope and their trust in him. You know, let's not let the busyness of life distract us from what God is calling us to do as a family, and you know it's easy, isn't it 's easy isn 't it it 's easy to say but i 'm tired you know I do it sometimes i say oh, i 'm t- tired, I just want to sit on the sofa and play xbox all night and 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 i, d- I do brendan it 's true um, <laughs> <laughs> no, there 's nothing quite so refreshing as playing FIFA. Until four in the morning. Um, (laughs) I don't do that. But we said, but we're tired. I'm I'm going to not do that because I'm tired. I'm not going to pursue that because I'm tired. But you know what Isaiah says? What it says in Isaiah 40 verse 31. It says, they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. God wants to renew our strength. And so I believe we need to spend some time as individuals just think do I need to reassess some things in my life? Do I need to reassess what I value? Do I need to reassess what I'm putting first? And for some of us, there's minor adjustments. For some of us, it's just little tweaks. But I genuinely believe that there are people here, and myself included, where there are major adjustments that God is going to call us to do. And I don't know what they are this morning unfortunately, that would be really easy, wouldn't it? But I don't know what they are, but for each and every one of us, God is calling us to do different things in response to this. But we need to be people who are pursuing him. That needs to be our first goal. And we need to pursue him together. Students, I really felt while I was... I think you normally sit there, don't you? (laughs) If there are any. Um, I really felt when I was... Preparing this, that while at uni, just to remind you, while you're at uni, make God your first goal. Make pursuing his kingdom and his purposes your first thing, your first love. Yeah, you're at uni to get a degree, but make your first goal, building the kingdom. And then everything else will be added. And I believe God wants us to look at our language. In verse one, in chapter one, verse two, it says, "Thus says the Lord of Hosts: These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. These people say." That's what they were saying. It says it's not time yet. It's not time yet. You know, um, over the summer, one of the greatest moments of the. Uh, four-year calendar happened, happened, uh, the World Cup, and I got thoroughly sucked in. Um, Before England went to the World Cup, I was one of the sceptics. I said, they're not going to win anything, they're not going to do anything, they're going to go, they're going to get knocked out in the group stages, bish bosh bosh. no goals scored, go home. And then suddenly, oh, football's coming home. (laughs) It's coming home. And, you know, that was created by the culture they created was by what was said. You know, there were a few reasonable performances, but let's face it, they couldn't score a goal in open play, even if there was no one in the goal. But but it's it's true, look at the stats. But, you know, the culture that was created around that World Cup, around that England team, was one of excitement, it was one of passion. It was one of we want to play for the, our country again for years. People have said, Oh, these England players are overpaid they don 't want to play for our country they don 't care about the badge they 're just going out there and and the players would say no, but the results would say differently, and the culture would say differently, but actually, the culture from the, the England team and sin, even since, and a brilliant win on Monday as well, where they did score from open play um, A brilliant result, you know, came from the culture that was created by saying, we're going to be different. We're going to be, this team's different. We want to play for England. We're going to show you we want to play for England. And then there was loads of stuff on social media and engaging with fans and the, the conversations amongst the press. It was all positive, positive, positive to the point where people like me genuinely believed they'd win the World Cup and spent about a week moping that they didn't. You know, is our language full of faith, encouragement and hope? Or is it full of gossip and frustration? Our second point is creative culture. God wants a creative culture. God wants us to breed a creative culture. And you know, it's honesty. You know, we, we're not talking about putting on a false... Putting on false faces, putting on uh, you know putting on a false face and saying, yes, everything 's fine, but it 's about being conscious in our conversations it 's about being specific. you know sometimes you have to express concern, sometimes you have to share heart like that, but it 's how we do it. What is the purpose to your conversation, and who does it benefit? Is it just you having a moan? is it just you offloading a load of stuff? Or is actually their purpose and building in it? You know, being perfectly honest, there was a time a couple of years ago, um, Ruth was working nights and I was home uh, with the kids, which is rare. And um, I was home for four or five nights and I decided that I'd catch up with a load of my friends, which is a good thing to do. Um, I wanted to, to build some relationship and I rang a few friends and I said, oh, can, do you want to come around this night, do you want to come around this night? And we had some one-on-one time, uh, me and some mates. Being perfectly honest, I had the same conversation four times. I talked about my frustrations. I talked about things that annoyed me. I talked about things that were hurting me. We barely talked about each other. We barely talked about what was exciting us, what God was doing, and what we could see God doing. And by the end of the week, I felt awful. Now that week was meant to be the week that I connected with some friends that I don't get to spend very much time with, and in- instead I actually came away from that week thinking, "Man, I feel really heavy. I feel really down." And then, yeah, I just remember feeling like that. And then a couple of months ago, me and Chris Haygarth met, and he—he's not here this morning. He's been rallying. But me and Chris Haygarth met up, for, and we needed to talk about some—talk uh, about a uh, situation. Uh, to do a tech team and we spent 20 minutes talking about that and then we started talking about other stuff and for some reason our conversation just flowed it was just me talking to him about my life, him talking to me about his life, our families, the things that were exciting us, the things that were encouraging us. Suddenly I realized that's what it's meant to be like. That's what a building relationship with my friends is meant to be like. And I got to the end of two and a half hours sat in Coffee Boy on, the, on Wakefield Road, realizing, man, we both need to leave. We've got things to do. And I sent him a text said, that was brilliant. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. I want to build a relationship with you. I want to, that's what I want it to be about. That's the culture I want, I want to be involved in, a culture where we build each other up, where we encourage each other, where we share heart together. You know, the psalmist says, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. That's Psalm 126, 1-3, one to three, if you're writing notes. That's the culture I want to, to be a part of, a place where we shout about the good things God has done. And yeah we, get, yeah, we work through things. Yeah, we talk about things, but we do it in a way that's building. We do it in a way that's constructive. You know, that's the culture I want my kids to grow up in. You know, what are we modeling to future generations? Because future generations take on what we build. Future generations are going to take on this and they're going to say, Dad, why is it like that? And I want to say to them, it's like that because I've built a culture where we could talk and we could tell everyone how good God was. And that's all part of our choices. And that's our third point choose. What is our response? Sorry, my Bible's flipped over. What is our response? You know, being perfectly honest, it's not the preacher's or the prophet's responsibility to get us engaged. It's not Alison's, uh, you yeah, know, Alison talked about stirring our hearts this morning, but it's not her responsibility to get us engaged. It's not her responsibility to stir us. And I'm not saying because I'm preaching this morning and, and you know, trying to get rid of responsibility. I'm not saying that at all, but it's not my responsibility for you to engage. It's my responsibility to bring the word of God. It's the prophet's responsibility to bring the word of God, but it's our choice how we respond. We get to choose to. It's our choice how do I respond? Do I respond? It's easy to retreat, isn't it? It's easy to get our own lives in order when we think when things feel uncertain or they're challenging. And I like to think when we retreat, it's like driving down the M6 at 50 miles an hour, if you're lucky, in an average speed camera zone. I don't know if you... That's building done badly in my eyes. Just <laughs> you know, when you sat there at 50 miles an hour in the average speed cameras, not feeling like you're making progress, you're looking around... Nothing's being built. No one's doing anything. There's no men working. Who knows what's going on? You just get more and more grumpy. I've had four people in the same vehicle as me who've got grumpy about the fact that we're stuck in a 50 when I'm driving. You get frustrated. That's what it's like when we retreat. And I'm not saying we blindly... This isn't blindly following Okay, this isn't blindly following what leaders say, this isn't blindly following what uh, anyone that brings a word says, but this is honouring the word that comes. I want to honour Matt. Matt bought a word two and a half years ago about prayer and um, at the time I was challenged and I was excited by it. I said, "God, God, yeah, yeah, we need to pray. But then, I'll be honest, things got busy, and I got less, less interested in it. And uh, to start with, I went to a couple of prayer meetings, and I really enjoyed them, and had a great time. And then I got less and less kind of engaged with it, and engaged with the vision. And um, I went along to a prayer meeting probably a year later, and I came away from it feeling a bit fed up, if I'm honest. I came away from it feeling a little bit frustrated, Thinking, well, that's not really what I expected. It's not really what I wanted. And God challenged me on this. He said, how can you build if you've never been a part of it? How can you expect something to, to, how can you expect that those things, those prayer meetings to be, how can you expect to be engaged with them if you're never a part of them, if you're not going on, if you're not supporting that vision that Matt had? And Matt, I'm sorry for the time I didn't honour that. And I'm sorry to people who've brought words that I haven't honoured. Because I want to build with you. You know, this isn't specifically about attending more meetings. But this is partnering with the word that comes. And if we respond to what God's saying, then I believe there's an acceleration coming for us. We'll get out of that 50 and bam, open road, which is where the analogy about the M6 goes. <laughs> you know, now is the time. I believe God is doing some amazing things here. And, you, you know, you can be sat there this morning and you can be saying, well, Dan, you've talked about building together. You've talked about this, but last time you talked about our, indiv- our individual visions as well and how does it all work together and how can I how can I pursue this when I'm pursuing that and and." and I don't understand you know we've had the analogy of the tree we've had the picture of the tree and this is like when we build together we're building the trunk okay we're building that vast trunk. I want you to imagine those trees in North America that you see that just go up for days okay that's what we're building we're building that trunk in the middle we're building that firm foundation we're digging roots together and then all our individual callings, all the the things that God's called us to do, whether it's to go into schools, whether it's to go into the entertainment industry whether it's to go to our neighbours and hang out and have a cup of coffee all those little things, they're like the branches and the stronger that trunk is, the stronger the middle of the tree is, the stronger the roots are the stronger our, our callings as individuals is your calling is strengthened by our pursuit of our calling. And the community we've spoken about before, the community will come and they will shelter under the tree. Yeah, this is what it says in Haggai, and I'm just going to flick through a few things. It says, my spirit remains in your midst. I will fill this house with glory. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former. And in this place, I will give peace. It's all about him being glorified. When we build his house together, here's what we're building. A place where the river flows, where we host the presence of God, where we worship in spirit and in truth, where the community comes to shelter, where miracles happen, where people are set free, where we are commissioned to transform our communities, workplaces, homes and schools, where we are living in love together. There's a song that's recently come out, and I can't stop singing it. And this is the bridge. It says, fear has no choice but to bow. Chains have no choice but to break. Shame has no choice but to leave in your presence. That's what we're building. A place where we can host that. Where a place where fear has no choice but to bow. Here's what Jesus says about what he's building. This is Matthew five, and it's from the message. I'm going to read it from the message. It's a very familiar scre- uh, scripture, but I love it the way it's phrased in the message. It says, "Here's another. One. It's verse fourteen. Just, you know, Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colours in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers." You don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. Every time I come back home up the east coast, either up the M1 or on the train, I see Emily Moore and I see this massive structure and I can see, you can see it for miles and when you come during the day you can see the structure and when you come at night you can see the lights and I know I'm home or nearly home. You know, that's what God's calling us to build. A city on a hill, a place where people come and they go, that's home. That's where God dwells. That's where I'm that's where I'm accepted that's where I'm loved Let's build his house. Let's build his garden. And let's do it together.